to the South of the Line Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wright. Alongside me is Nick Weishar and Joey Leonardo. We have a very special episode this week. We've got a great interview with John Miller of the Locked On Mizzou Podcast. we got a lot to talk about this week from a big weekend of SEC football action. And uh, I know these guys are very excited to talk about it, aren't we, guys? For sure, yeah. Definitely, yeah. So to get things started, let's go ahead and recap what happened this week in SEC action. We'll go ahead and start off with the morning games with Arkansas and Mizzou. A great game for the battle line rivalry. The Tigers had a pretty big game for them to win overall. And uh, you know what, guys? I'm actually kind of surprised that Arkansas kind of kept it that close. Yeah, I think Larry Roundtree had a, he had a really big game with 185 rushing yards, three touchdowns. And it wasn't just him in the rushing game that was getting it done. Also, uh, Tyler Batty, I believe is his name, had 79 rushing yards and two touchdowns also. But Connor Bazelag was also able to get his own, thrown for almost 400 yards. Ours and getting, you know, all the, getting plenty of different receivers involved. And, and that defense stepped up when they needed to. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you really have to love the play that Connor Bazelag has been playing with. I mean, another 300-yard or so game from him. And now he's got <clears throat> SEC – freshman of the week honors again for him. It's his third time this season. Like how else can you explain that he wouldn't be up for player of the year or freshman of the year or anything along those honors? I mean, the way he's been playing this season has really been remarkable. And I'm sure coach drink is really happy to have him as a player. Wouldn't you say Joey? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think he's definitely stepped it up this season. I mean, Mizzou after the uh, latest rankings were announced, now 25, in the latest CFP poll. So it's a big step for a team that didn't really have a lot of high expectation coming into the year, I'd say. Uh, on the other side of that game, though, I'd like to point out that Arkansas's run game was just as strong as Mizzou's, honestly. I mean, Traylon Smith had 172 yards, three touchdowns, kind of kept Arkansas in it. Uh, they were actually up at halftime. So I think I was impressed that they really looked like they were going to win there at half. And even late to the fourth quarter, it looked like it was their game. I mean, yeah, there, there was really not much defense really to talk about for either side. I mean, with the final score being 50 to 48, I mean, how much could you have really expected for Mizzou to really stop Arkansas, especially when Nick Bolton had that awful targeting call go against him in the first half? Like, what else can you say about that? I mean, there's that was just a horrendous call overall. As much as I hate bashing any sort of sec or any other kind of officiating but in that sense I, that's just the wrong call to throw them out on that but that's just my personal opinion and i'm sure many mizzou fans would agree with that because i know what i saw on twitter and instagram a lot of the sports personalities or any outlets were talking about how bad that that call was but moving on though we'll go into the texas a&m and auburn game from this past weekend with texas a&m winning by 11 31 to 20 pretty solid matchup for uh, the Aggies there in that game with Kellamon throwing for 196 yards, 18 of 23 for passing. Not not bad, but Auburn really showed out pretty well overall with Bo Nix having a pretty solid day. Yeah, I think for AM, Isaiah Spiller, again, had another really good game, rushing for 120 yards. And Kellen Maude definitely stepped up his play from last week to this week. He did not play very well against LSU. And they're – below average defense but then against this Auburn defense which is a little bit better he stepped up had the two touchdowns was very be accurate getting the ball to different receivers and then the defense again for AM played very well only let Bo Nix have 144 
uh, passing yards and didn't really let any didn't really let Williams or Schwartz get going too often. And they kept Bigsby in check with 76 rushing yards. So overall, I really think this A&M defense had another solid performance. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, on last week's podcast, Sebastian, his hot take was that Kellen Munn would throw for under 200 yards and a pick six. So I didn't throw the pick six, but he was spot on there with that uh, that Kellen Munn take. Yeah, he actually did and, get that uh, right, surprisingly. It was a good call uh, out there for Sebastian. Too bad the boy can't be on this pod, but that's all right, though. Yeah, We have yeah, some yeah. special content coming on Instagram with him and uh, Michael Lenahan coming up soon for everybody that's following this pod. But moving on to the other games this past weekend, we had Florida and Tennessee. Florida pretty much took care of business on both sides of the ball against Tennessee, but the Volunteers kind of made a little bit of noise trying to keep it close here and there, uh, especially in the fourth quarter, trying to make it a game. But overall, Florida just, again, they just – found a way to keep dominating. Kyle Trask, 433 yards passing, 35 of 49. I mean, how is this guy not the top Heisman candidate? I mean, he had another Heisman-worthy performance, even though Tennessee is not having the year they expected to. I mean, when you still throw for over 400 yards and get four touchdowns in any SEC game, like that's a Heisman-worthy performance. And my hot take was Kyle Pitts would have four, four receiving touchdowns. He did not get any, but he still had a huge day with 100 28 receiving yards proved again why he's the best tight end in the country and a first round draft pick. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Florida's got LSU this weekend and then they got the SEC championship against Alabama. If Trask plays at the same level he's been playing, I mean, I think he's a lock for the Heisman at that point. He's had an incredible season. I wrote about it in my uh, latest blog, but I mean, he's top three in the nation in touchdowns, passing yards and QBR. And I think just having him on the field puts Florida in a great spot to make the playoff and, you know, maybe give Alabama a run for their money in the SEC championship two weeks. Yeah, no, for sure. But especially the other storyline kind of going into this game was Harrison Bailey starting for Tennessee. I, I honestly think that that was the right move by Jeremy Pruitt and that might've saved him a little bit of flack from for starting sure. anyone else, honestly, <laughs> besides Garantano, because honestly there is really no one else that they, should have been playing. So it looks like he could be the better QB for the future for the Vols, but still, Jeremy Pruitt, he, he's he got a lot to figure out up in Knoxville. So we'll see how that goes for the Vols. But moving on, we got South Carolina and Kentucky. Honestly, not much to talk about here in this game. I mean, Kentucky just blew the doors off the Gamecocks here in this game, winning 41-18. I mean, you pretty much have to chalk it up to the offensive play for Kentucky with Terry Wilson passing for 201 yards, 17 to 26. Not really much you can complain about there with him not really having any touchdowns, but still he had a rushing touchdown. So that got him a good day. Yeah, this was for Chris Rodriguez. This was his third game in a row with over 100 rushing yards. He had 139 and three touchdowns. I mean, they just kept giving him the ball and South Carolina was not stopping him. And then they also got a Sim Rose Jr. really involved. He had 101 yards yards rushing and a touchdown. I mean, that rushing offense for Kentucky is one of the best. So, I mean, they were just – there's just no way South Carolina was going to stop that. And their quarterback play was pretty horrendous with uh, Luke Doty only throwing for 85 yards and a touchdown interception. I mean, thank goodness South Carolina is getting a new coach. 
Yeah, you can say that again. It's, I, there's a lot that Shane Beamer's going to have to be working out there in uh, Columbia f- to get that team kind of work that around. But, you know, sure. they have a lot to talk about. I mean, still, whenever you fire a coach kind of towards the end or in the middle of a season, there's obviously going to be a lot of big losses just for the fact that there's a lot of transitioning you got to do. But we'll see. What, what say you, Joey? Yeah, I'd say just same story for South Carolina. I feel like we've heard all season long with Kevin Harris being like the lone bright spot for that team. You know, he had 210 rushing yards, averaging 10 yards a carry, touchdown. Like, other than him, I feel like they haven't had a lot go their way this season, which shows. I mean, they just got blown up by Kentucky. So, going to need a lot of lot of changes next year. Yeah, it's not really saying much whenever you're getting blown up by Kentucky. That's not a real bright spot in your season, especially for this one of all of them. Right. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes for them. But for the last game of this weekend was Alabama at LSU – Again, another game, a blowout, basically. Just not the Tigers could not really do much of anything in Death Valley because Mac Jones and Najee Harris, that was a deadly combination for them again this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones, he also had a Heisman worthy performance 385 passing yards, four touchdowns, three of them to Devontae Smith, who had 231 receiving, receiving yards. Who I believe Devontae Smith is the best wide receiver in the country. I mean, he's so explosive. Derek Stingley, who everyone's really high on at LSU and who I think is going to be, who I think is a great player right now. And he's just burning Stingley all day. Stingley cannot cover him. And then once you throw in Najee Harris, who, again, had another great game, 145 yards of rushing, three touchdowns. I mean, there's no one in the country that can stop all three of those. No, and exactly that. That's basically a three-headed monster that can honestly all make pretty solid Heisman candidate kind of conversations for pretty much all of them. I mean, but Mac Jones obviously leads that conversation. In my mind, I think that he would be the one to be leading the pack for Alabama to get the Heisman for out of those three fellows. But what did it say you, Joey? I think Nick summed it up pretty perfectly. You know, this game was over after the first quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. 21-0 after the first. Bama just kept rolling. LSU couldn't keep up. Uh, I think it's, you know, if you told people at the start of the season that LSU would be where they are at right now, Nobody would really believe it coming off the national championship win last year. But yeah, yeah, you know, they just got a they got a lot of things to think about going into next season as they wrap up. I think they yeah, they got Florida next weekend. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll see how all these teams recuperate and rework these games coming up this weekend. So that's it for our recap, and we'll be having our power rankings coming up soon. And now in our college football playoff rankings, we have a very interesting list for all our listeners out there. Obviously, the top four, not really going to have too much shakeup there. We've got Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and then Ohio State. But then after that, it gets a little interesting. As we've debated before the show started, we kind of mauled over who should be where in the rest of the top ten. So now we've got Florida at five. A&M at six, Cincinnati at seven, Miami at eight, Indiana at nine, and Iowa State at 10. Fellas, let's embrace debate. Um, I mean, Florida, Texas A&M, you can basically flip those either way you want to. I know Texas A&M beat Florida early this year, but Florida's been playing like the better team as of late and has a chance to be a conference champion. So, that's why I think we put Florida above A&M. And then Cincinnati, 
obviously their game against Tulsa got canceled. So they lost another chance right there to get another quality win on there, but they will be playing Tulsa in their conference championship. So they do have one more shot to have another quality win and try to get into playoffs somehow. And also the big thing I think this week is Ohio State's game against Michigan getting canceled. And, and so now that's not now Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh is scared. Yeah, clearly. Now Ohio State will only have five games played and the Big Ten's requirement to be able to qualify for the conference championship game is six. And so now it's going to be interesting to see if the Big Ten votes to lower that uh, game minimum to five so Ohio State can qualify and compete for the Big Ten crown against Northwestern. And, but then if they don't, it's going to be Indiana versus Northwestern in that championship game. So it's going to be really interesting to see in the next couple of days what happens with that. Yeah, I, I think the people are really going to want to see Indiana Northwestern, even though it's not obviously the big name schools. It's just interesting to see these other schools in the Big Ten that always haven't really been in the Big Ten championship. So I'm really rooting for Indiana to be in, and hopefully the right. Big Ten doesn't screw over Indiana by having Ohio State get that one more game that they don't have to have. But I don't know. You know, we'll we'll see how the Big Ten does it, but you know, should be interesting. But obviously, with that Indiana spot that we moved them up, I do think that that kind of helps them in their case, at least on our rankings, for them to make the Big Ten championship, especially with Ohio State the way that they've been playing this year, the few games that they've been playing this year. I mean, I I don't really think that they deserve much recognition, sure. even to be that high up in the actual college football playoff committee's rankings, but that is just me but especially with iowa state too having two losses it, i'm not even sure i would want them in my mm -hmm. top 10 because the way coastal carolina was able to gut out a victory over byu i would have rather see them in the top 10 and i'm surprised that the committee didn't even put them higher than 13 i feel like that's a bit of a snub on their part but then again they've been doing that all season honestly yeah yeah i mm -hmm. think that was a pretty big snub but i think the biggest was them keeping Indiana at 12 after the win over Wisconsin, especially, uh, you know, going in, I think they were like 13 and a half point underdogs because uh, they were out missing their starting quarterback, but Jack Tuttle came in through two touchdowns. It was an ugly victory, but I mean, 14, six in Wisconsin, I think that deserves a little yeah. more recognition, especially considering no one expected him to win. That's just a gritty big 10 win. Exactly. Yeah. I think they definitely, uh, you know, we got them at nine and I think that's a fair ranking for him. I think 12 is too low. I definitely put them over Iowa State. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, Indiana definitely. If they play Northwestern in the Big Ten championship, I think that'll be a good game. I could see them winning that and uh, winning the first Big Ten championship. I think you know, in a long time. I think we heard 1950 was the last time they won the Big Ten championship. Right. Yeah, we we were discussing this before the show. Yeah, 1950 was the last time Indiana even won the Big Ten, let alone even being it. So, I mean. <laughs> I'm sure all the Hoosiers fans out there are pumped to, uh, in, just in case the Big Ten is able to uh, not allow Ohio State to have a little more greed going into that game. So hopefully all the Hoosiers fans can get a little excitement going for that one. But Cincinnati being at seven, that team, I'm telling you, if they can find another team. way to get just one more marquee game or something, I feel like they, they could easily make a case to be in the playoff committee. What do you guys think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a really good team. And their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, I think he's been playing exceptional this year. And I believe since, well, Texas A&M, we'll get to this later, but Texas A&M game, 
this weekend against Ole Miss is postponed. And so a lot of people are calling for Cincinnati and Texas A&M to play this weekend. Yeah. So, so Cincinnati can boost their, their uh, resume for the playoff this year. So that'd be really interesting. That's probably not going to happen. But if that game were to happen, that'd be a really interesting game. Yeah, honestly, if BYU can travel all the way to Coastal Carolina, there's got to be a way that A&M can schedule with Cincinnati. Maybe meet in the exactly. middle or something. St. Louis, I don't know. Memphis, That's that fair. seems about towards the middle to me for both of those teams. Why not? Let's make it happen. Neutral site. Throw something. Made BYU Coastal happen. Exactly. We need, the, we know, we need all the excitement we can get because this season – is already hectic enough. So why not throw in a little bit something extra in the mix? Cause exactly. A&M, honestly, they're going to need a lot of help if they want to get in the playoff. And I think that if they played Cincinnati, that could help them. That could really help. Yeah. Especially with A&M not having an opportunity to be a conference champion and knowing how much the committee uh, values that that's yeah. I don't, I see no route for A&M getting in the playoffs. And then the other route, the other side of that coin is Cincinnati. If they win that game, you kind of start thinking, wait a minute, they could be in this race too. They could possibly work this out if they get if they have Notre Dame win against Clemson in the uh, in the ACC championship. There, you might embrace a lot of debate for that one. Yeah, I think having Cincinnati at eight shows like the biggest flaw with the whole college football playoff because I mean they're an eight no team. They've blown out pretty much all their conference opponents except for uh, Central Florida. I think it was that was a tight game, but. I mean, they've done pretty much everything they can to make a case for the playoff and still aren't getting – it really doesn't seem like they have a shot right now to get in. So I think in the future the committee needs to look at that and say, you know, what can we do because those smaller – I think, you know, Cincinnati's in the American 8-0 if they, you know – The power six. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, if they, <laughs> they need to figure out a way for these teams not in the power five to, you know, find a route into the playoff, whether it's expanding it or what. But I think – them at eight's a little disrespectful considering they're eight and zero and they've done nothing but win, you know, blow out their conference rivals. So exactly. And I think this committee out of a lot of the past committees has been a little bit strange in the way that they've been ranking some of these teams. I, I, I disagree a lot with some of these rankings, especially snubbing BYU, even before the coastal game, just the way oh, that they sure, haven't right. been able to put them up higher. Cause I thought that they were, a great team obviously they have an explosive offense so i mean how can you not throw on some of these other non-power five schools a little bit higher give them a little more love but you know they do love the power five a lot so can't really do much on that end but we'll have to see with all these other games coming out this weekend though do you have any other final thoughts about our top 10 for the college football playoff rankings still want texas a&m cincinnati to happen this weekend Amen to that. Come on, playoff committee. Let's get this going. Give the people what they want. All right, that's going to do it for our college football playoff ranking segment. Next up, we're going to be having our week 12 picks from all your favorite hosts. All right, welcome back into the South of the Line Sports Podcast. Today we have a very special guest here talking about Mizzou football and a little bit of basketball here. We have uh, John Miller of the Locked On Mizzou Podcast. John, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Austin. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, so today we just wanted to talk a little bit about Mizzou football and how they've been doing this season. We'll go ahead and start off with that. So I wanted to ask you uh, what your thoughts are about this team that's 
in a way kind of overachieving this season with coach drink being his first year at the helm for Mizzou. So I, what are your thoughts about this season? You know, gosh, uh, you know, overachieving might even be understating it a bit in my eyes. I, you know, I'm a, I've been a huge advocate of Eli Drinkwitz from the very beginning when it seemed like Missouri was going to hire them. And then indeed they did hire him. I've been as about as big of an advocate as there is, except other than, I guess, my frequent co-host Blake Stark. He was a big fan too. I just wasn't as willing in the first year to say, oh, Eli is definitely going to go out there and win six or seven games in a 10-game SEC-only schedule, especially with a new quarterback. You know, being a first-time coach, one thing I've learned over the years of watching college football Anytime you've got a new coach, that's a difficult transition. So just the fact that Eli and his whole staff has made this transition so successfully so far is really beyond my wildest dreams or expectations for this 2020 campaign. So the fact that he's been able to get this level of buy-in too from Barry Odom's players for the most part is just incredibly impressive. Then you throw the recruiting on top of it. It's really looking like bright days are ahead for the Tigers. Yeah, it really is. And there's a lot of great freshman talent on this team as well, like you said, with a bright future ahead. I mean, you have Connor Basilak, who's already gotten just announced earlier that he's the freshman of the week again this year for the Tigers, as well as um, we have uh, Mevis, who is the sure. special teams player of the, of the week as well. He's a freshman. I mean, that that just uh, it's impressive for Mizzou overall. So what are your thoughts about these young players that are kind of shining already in this season? That's just an SEC only schedule as well. Well, I think it's really impressive, and I think really there's more talent on this roster than we may have suspected at the beginning of the season, and yet the big one is obviously Basilak. I think, not to be overly simplistic here, but once you find a quarterback, once you find a quarterback who is a a good steward of your offense, a guy who's a really good decision maker, a guy who's cool under pressure. It just makes everything so much easier and it makes everything fall into place. And certainly Eli is a good play caller. He's almost a little bit Andy Reed like, in my opinion, in the way he uses a lot of motion to dress things up, maybe run the same play four or five times in a game, but it looks different every single time because it's with a, a different personnel group, a different formation, whatever it might be. But yeah, you know, as, as impressed as I am with some of the young guys, I'm almost more, again, more impressed with what he's done with the upperclassmen. And, you know, a guy like Damon Hazelton, who kind of fell down the depth chart the last couple, three weeks. And it would have been really easy for a graduate transfer, a guy without a lot of sweat equity at Mizzou, would have been easy for him to just say, you know what, see you later. I'm opting out. I'm going to work on prep for the pros. And he was really good. We needed him in that Arkansas game. So good for him. Yeah, and, and with that other upperclassman talent, I mean, for Larry Roundtree, I mean, his production this year is just pretty much unmatched in the SEC. I mean, with him being able to go around the field and just not really find any ways to be stopped by a lot of these defenses, what does that say for the upcoming running backs for them? Like, what do they need to do in order to be prepared for uh, next season as well, even? Well, you know, I think <clears throat> what you don't have – Roundtree is definitely a workhorse style running back, just his body type, like for as effective as a player as Tyler Beatty is, 
you're not going to be seeing him getting 27 carries in a ball game, I don't think, next year. But that's okay because I think you've got multiple options coming back next year. I think the coaching staff likes Eli Young, a Knoxville running back. He's a true freshman this year. I think he's shown some promise. And, you know, I, I think you'll just see a lot more mix and match with the running backs going forward as opposed to maybe just that pure workhorse style running back like Roundtree. I think he's a fairly unique style player. I really do. Yeah, I mean, and his play it obviously has worked for him this season. I mean, with the game this past weekend against Arkansas, I mean, he had another great game just being able to run so much against them and just have a lot of yards. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Connor Bazelak is part of the reason that he was able to get some of those yards, kind of give it a, give the defense a little bit of trouble with him passing for 300 yards, but he has no touchdowns. He hasn't had any touchdowns in the past couple of weeks. So, I mean, what does that say for him not having to worry as much about having to find targets in the end zone? Sure. You know, I, I think a lot of that, you know, especially look at how Connor played in that Arkansas game through for 380 yards. The fact that he didn't have any touchdowns there was, was pretty fluky. I mean, there were some times where he threw good balls that got him, you know, inside the five and they end up just running it into the end zone. And obviously when Tyler Beatty runs it from 45 yards out into the end zone, tough to throw it in there too. To me, I'm much more of a, hey, I want to look at how a guy's decision making is, you know, is he making the correct reads, the correct throws, whether the ball ultimately, obviously scoring touchdowns as a team is what's important, whether that literally comes from the right arm of Basilak or not is less important than is he moving the chains? Is he getting us in position to finish off those drives with touchdowns? So yeah, the fact that he has five touchdowns in the year is, is a really bizarre number to me because he's played well this season. I, I just think it's a fluke. I really do. Yeah. And even still, I mean, it is pretty impressive because he has a lot of talent around him that is able to kind of make up for that, especially with Barry Bannister, even, against Arkansas I mean he was just an automatic first down whenever it came down to third down situation I mean that connection between Basilek and Bannister was pretty special honestly like uh, it just seems as if that's going to be a pretty big key going into this Georgia game even as well yeah I'm with you no Bannister's an important player he's definitely four of his five catches I believe went for first downs and and one was extremely important there in the fourth quarter Bannister caught the ball short of the sticks and just he's got a nose he, he's aware of where the yard marker was and he just went right for it dove for the marker picked up I mean just an enormously important first down that I don't, I don't know if we win the game without it so yeah I'm glad you brought up Bannister he's been a really an underrated asset for this team I think yeah and then an asset that was kind of missing as well against uh, Arkansas in the second half was Nick Bolton that that call in the first half was very questionable to say the least and most of the media and any of the big outlets that were talking about this game hammered on that call against the SEC officiating crew. What, what are your thoughts about that call for Nick Bolton and the targeting that he got? Well, I, I definitely agreed with uh, the Twitter mob on that one. I, I thought I thought it was ridiculous. I was sitting in the stands, and you know they got those big the big jumbotron there in the south end zone gave us some great replays. And yeah, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, Drinkwitz kind of uh, in the post game, I think 
was being uh, politically correct, I guess, and maybe trying to avoid some some trouble from the SEC office and saying, well, it was the right call based on the rules. I, I just don't see it. I really don't. And, and frankly, when I saw it live, I thought, oh, we're fine. This is they called targeting. This is going to be overturned. You know, we won't even get a 15 yard penalty for this. So, yeah, I just think if that is really the the letter of the law there, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what Bolton was supposed to do other than just like gently lay him down on the ground like a baby right. in a bassinet or something. That was a little bit much for me. Yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to show anyone else a textbook tackle, I mean, go ahead. I mean, I'm not sure what else you would want to ask for in a play like that. I mean. But I mean, so you got to hit the guy hard in that situation. Sure. If he's going to come yeah. up with the football, you're trying to dislodge the football from the player. Right. Yeah. Occasionally you're going to get rocked there, especially when you're in midair. Exactly. Frankly, you want to get mad at somebody, you know, the receiver was a little shaken up there. Hopefully he's all right. Long-term I assume so, but since he walked off the field, but you know, the quarterback laid him out to dry there. He's the one who threw that ball way too high over the middle right. of the field again against maybe the best middle linebacker in the country. So you kind of got what you deserve there. I hate to say it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's very true. I mean, Nick Bolton, he made his presence known, especially considering that Arkansas was kind of chirping him on their Twitter account saying that we've got the baddest guys on defense. Well, <laughs> he definitely let it let it be known on that one. But uh, yeah, I didn't see that much from the Arkansas defense on Saturday. So I'll just yeah. I'll, I'll leave that there. Right. Well, for this game against Georgia, what are your thoughts for Mizzou and what do you think their keys are for them to be able to win this game? It's it's a big one because if they get a win against Georgia, they could easily have a nice successful road to Mississippi State and finish out the season one game above 500. I mean, that would be very impressive for the Tigers. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, it's I, I want to really be optimistic in this game because in terms of just motivation, it certainly seems like the Tigers have a lot more to play for than the Bulldogs because Georgia obviously came into this season as they have the last three, four years as a top five preseason team. And certainly if they don't win the East, which they're not, they're not going to win the East. That's got to be considered a disappointment for their program. Certainly their fan base seems that way. They're starting, some of their people are starting to get a little bit impatient with Kirby smart, which surprises me a little bit if I'm being honest. But with all that being said, considering they don't have a lot to play for, considering there's a little bit of angst here, you would think that Missouri's in a good spot. And the, my, my hesitation is I think Georgia, though, a couple weeks ago might have found their quarterback. I think JT Daniels, mm -hmm. transfer right. from USC, he played a little bit. I saw him just a little bit a couple weeks ago. I can't remember the opponent off the top of my head. He showed a lot more promise than... I believe Dewan Johnson. Now I'm forgetting the other kid who played a quarterback in the uh, in the Florida game down in Jacksonville. But regardless, he just seems like a much better option at quarterback right now from the very little that I've seen, and that worries me a little bit because I thought for as much talent as Georgia has, if they're going to be a little bit vulnerable at that position, that gives Missouri a shot. So. Just something to keep an eye on there if Daniels is is looking as sharp as, as I thought he did last week or, you know, he's still coming back from an injury. So we'll see. I, I'm not I want to hurry. I want to give a rah-rah speech here, but I'm just hesitating a little bit right now. I'll have to do some more homework. Sure. And probably it's going to come down to Nick Bolton and Trajan Jeffcoat, another guy that's been really critical for Mizzou's defense, having be tied in this first second in sacks in the SEC. I mean, that those two guys are going to be probably pretty critical players for uh, Mizzou's defense going into that game as well, wouldn't you say? 
Oh, for sure. I mean, Bolton is certainly, you know, the defense, the run stuffs are basically designed to free him up and let him make the tackle in the run game. So he's always an incredibly important piece. I think you saw Missouri's defense struggled a little bit, especially in the run game when Bolton was kicked out. And frankly, even a little bit before that, when Bolton came up gimpy after an ankle injury, he didn't quite look the same. So certainly, as always, Bolton's going to be important. And really, Jeffcoat has been has been consistently Missouri's best pass rusher this season. And considering there was no real indication that he was going to get to play this year, he, you know, surprisingly to anybody on the Mizzou beat was reinstated to the team. Good for him and a good for the Mizzou football team too, because like you say, without him, I'm not sure how much pass rush that we really have. I mean, he and Isaiah McGuire has been a bit of a, uh, a pleasant surprise, but up front there, that's been about it. Yeah, for sure. And for going into this Georgia game here, closing out the last home game for Mizzou, what, what are your thoughts on the score prediction for this game? And what do you think uh, for those who like to spend a little money betting online, what do you think uh, people should do for this game? Well, what's the line? Was it Georgia by 13? That's the last I saw. That was what it opened at anyway. Right. Uh, as far as I can tell, yes, Mizzou and Georgia – have about a 13 point spread. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'll tell you this. I would let that line creep up a little bit. That's what I would do. I wouldn't take it right now. Let it creep up because generally mm-hmm. speaking, and the this public is, is going to go with Georgia. I mean, they're the name team. You know, I, I, I'm assuming some people are starting to notice that Missouri's having a nice season, but still, I think the public is probably going to push that line. If it pushes it up to 14, I think that's when you pounce. Because that obviously 14, 13, it's one point literally, but it's, you know, it's a big difference. Those are common final score differences for sure. So if it were up to me, if you can get it at 14 or certainly higher, then I, I would definitely consider putting a couple shekels on it. all right and let's transition a little bit to mizzou basketball something i'm not sure i would have thought would have been that much of a hot topic already this early in the season but the tigers have been really good this season uh all things considered no absolutely and uh Honestly, from my perspective, I really thought this team was going to look similar to this last season. But, you know, just for whatever reason, injuries, what have you, just didn't quite, never quite clicked at the level that I was expecting. So coming into this year, I was kind of like, eh, have my arms fold a little bit, you know, show me state, that whole thing. I'll believe it when I see it. But man, through three games, it's really looking like, they're looking like a tournament team to me. I, I, you can move them off the bubble mm. at this moment. They're at least a tournament team right now. Can If they just keep playing like this, they stay healthy. Yeah, this is looking like a fun team, and we should enjoy it because, well, we're going to lose a lot of production after this right. year. So right. what the future holds for Conzo Martin, I'm really not sure. But for right now, it's looking like a fun season for sure. Yeah, no, it is. And it's being led by Mark Smith, a great shooter from Mizzou who had 19 against Wichita State just on Sunday. So, I mean, with his production, I think that he's probably going to be a critical player for Mizzou to rely on in scoring. And I don't know if you had any thoughts about who else Mizzou might be leaning on this season for production and scoring. 
Oh, sure. Well, yeah, Mark, the thing with Mark is I think he's just finally healthy again. And and not only that, he just looks, maybe he's in better shape too. I think it's just mostly health because he just looks like a different player right now. He talked about how just going to the basket, he just feels just more bouncy, more strong, finishing through contact and that kind of thing. And, and you can really see it. I think for the most of part of his career, he's been mostly exclusively an outside shooter. You've seen him diversify his game a little bit so far this year. But, you know, to me, the, I think the biggest thing I'm going to be watching is how the four spot, the sort of combo forward and backup center, how those minutes, how they play themselves out. Because basically you got Mitchell Smith, you got Kobe Brown, and you got Parker Brown. Now, to me, Parker Brown probably has the highest offensive upside of all of those guys, but I'm not sure that he's going to be able to guard anybody in a lot of these games. Now, I'm not saying he can't, but I think he's got he still has to prove that to me. But I tell you, offensively, he's showing something. He's always been good around the basket. He's really he's an explosive leaper, and he's even showing some three-point range so far. So Interesting to see what he does, but hopefully, and frankly, when it comes to Kobe Brown and Mitchell Smith, maybe like to see them get inside a little bit more, especially Kobe. I like to see him take the ball off the dribble, which he did a couple times against Wichita, which was effective. Yeah, and compared to last season, he was just kind of a little bit of a disappointment in the sense that you were expecting a few more points out of Kobe Brown. Like every game, I thought, okay, maybe he could find a little more scoring inside or outside. But I mean, especially this season, it, especially against the Wichita State, they he found a way to score, which is very promising from Zoo just to have another scorer on their side because last year's production, at least on the offensive end, really wasn't much to kind of cheer for for many Mizzou fans. So hopefully right. he does pretty well uh, this season as well. Yeah, what's interesting with Mizzou's offense so far is really their three-point shooting, which was, of course, discussed ad nauseum last year and coming into this year. Statistically hasn't been a whole lot better, but just the offense in general just is looks like they're they're in sync, they're moving the ball crisply, just a little bit more pace and and fewer turnovers, quite frankly, too. And so far that's making a huge difference. Yeah, no, it really is. And especially for the play with Jeremiah Tillman, I think him his big presence kind of leans towards Mizzou being able to pass the ball around a little bit better. And so hopefully he'll have kind of that same sort of style going into the rest of the season. And we'll see if that continues, but especially with players like Xavier Pinson, his production has been pretty much phenomenal already to say the least this early in the season, being able to win against Oregon. What do you think of his play so far for Mizzou and how he might be able to be kind of along with Mark Smith, a good score for Mizzou to rely on? Well, obviously, uh, previous game, Pinson didn't have his best game. One of 13 from the floor. Oh, of seven from the three was the was the number I really noticed. I thought especially in the first half, he was just too passive. I don't know if he was just trying to, I don't know, get people involved, let the game come to him. But to me, I need to see him in attack mode earlier than that. I, I need to see him driving to the basket because – that's that's his best attribute. He has a great first step. He's got the best first step on Missouri's team, one of the best in the SEC, without a doubt. And he's a pretty good finisher, too. He makes stuff happen. So whenever he's doing that, he's much more effective. Mizzou's much more effective. 
And I, I think I think maybe the, the issue was is the Shockers were going under those high screen and rolls and kind of baiting Pinson into taking the three. And well, he was doing it. He was obliging. And I think early in the shot clock, I think you can be baited into that. And that's not a great shot. Listen, if there's six seconds left, by all means, pull that. But early in the shot clock, that's actually what they want you to do, because not only is that not necessarily his best shot, but it, the ball's also not moving. Nobody else is getting involved. The defense isn't being broken down. Less less an opportunity for an offensive rebound and all that good stuff. Yeah, and and, and of course he'll he'll have more time to kind of be able to prepare for the rest of the season. He'll be able to get into more of a rhythm. But overall, Conzo Martin has been just a very reliable force for Mizzou, being able to get these guys motivated, as you said earlier and kind of buy into the program more and have a very determined sense here in the season. I mean, and now he's being nominated for ESPN for national coach of the week. Uh, that's just another testament to him. He's really found a way to turn around this Mizzou program. And what are your thoughts on how he's been able to do that, especially with this very veteran squad? Sure. Well, you know, like I said, um, I'm definitely mostly a fan of Conzo for sure. And I'm definitely a fan of the guy. I, I think his like you alluded to, he's definitely a leader of men for sure. I mean, he can get young men to buy in and play hard and, and be together and all that good stuff. But I will say the, the recruiting end of it has been a little bit disappointing. This upcoming recruiting class, I like a lot of their pieces. I really do. I think it's a five, six man recruiting class to me, led by Anton Brookshire out of Springfield, like him as a somewhat undersized guard, but a good score. I really like him as a shooter but, you know, I think it really remains to be seen where this program is going after this season. Now, I think, again, what going back to Xavier Pinson, there's a guy who in the past, I think if he went one of 13 from the field, he may have had a tendency to pout a little bit. Well, there was no pouting from Pinson after this game. In fact, he looked about as happy as anybody after they secured that victory. I think Martin's done a great job of getting this particular group on the same page and having them pulling all in the same direction for sure, because it seems like they all just want to win this year. And that's what you need from a senior laden experienced basketball team for sure. Absolutely. And it remains to be seen how they'll do for the rest of the season. They got big games coming up against Liberty. And then of course the bragging rights game against yep. Illinois, which is going to be in Como. So we'll see how they do for those games. Really excited for those. So. I know Mizzou Nation can't wait to see if Conzo Martin can will their team, will his team to be able to get uh, big wins in those games. So with that, I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us, John. I really appreciate you coming on the pod and we really appreciate you uh, giving your thoughts about Mizzou. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, your listeners, if you want to check me out five days a week, Locked on Mizzou, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you follow, anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for having me on, Austin. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much again, John. We really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, man. All right. And now we've got our SEC basketball segment here. Very special segment for this one. We've got a lot of great games to talk about that have happened this past weekend and lots of big games that are coming up this weekend. We're going to have Nick spearhead this one. We've got a lot of interesting games that have happened on this past Saturday with Mizzou getting a big win against Wichita yeah, State Kentucky's and not looking too good right now. Kentucky, I mean, they what happened last Tuesday already. They played season. Kansas. It's not a great start. They just for them beat Creighton today already. and they're a really good team. They only, they only lost to Kansas 
by three. And I watched that game and Kansas obviously did not have their best game, but Kentucky still bothered them with their defense and their length. And Isaiah Jackson almost had a triple double with seven points, 11 rebounds and eight blocks. And he was definitely a problem. And he's probably been one of the only bright spots for Kentucky this season so far. Cause then they turned around and went to Atlanta this past Sunday and lost to Georgia tech by 17 and you can't lose those types of games. That was Georgia Tech's first win. They lost to Georgia State and Mercer, and Kentucky's got to cut down on the turnovers. That's their big thing right now. The ball is not moving on offense as it needs to be. Guys want to play too much one-on-one. They're not, I don't think they're giving Olivier Saar as much touches as I think they need to. And the shooting has improved as the games have gone on. I'll give them that. But – I think their intensity needs to step up. I think defensively, they're a little bit lazy. And I talked about this in my last article, just because you put on that Kentucky jersey and all that Kentucky greatness does not mean you just can walk out there and get a win. Uh, I mean, some of these guys, I think, need to realize that. Um, in, in past Kentucky teams, there's always been a few guys, a few veteran guys, a few sophomores that have come back and really installed that in the freshmen. I think... Like last year, they had Nick Richards, Emmanuel Quickly, guys like that, veterans who came back and were able to install these guys that just because it says Kentucky on your jersey doesn't mean you automatically win games. And they need to figure that out pretty soon because on Saturday, they're going up against a tough Notre Dame team who only lost to a ranked Ohio State team by five points tonight. And Notre Dame always plays tough. And Kentucky needs this game because they need, they need some confidence. They need to play well. They need some they need some power five wins. And I need to see Kentucky step up with cutting down to turnovers and on defense. But, yeah, as you said earlier, team of the week, definitely the Missouri Tigers. Um, hate to say it as a student, but Missouri, Missouri has looked really well. Beat a really good Oregon team who <laughs> is projected to win the Pac-12 beat them. Oh no, keep going. I love hearing last it. Last Wednesday in Omaha. Um I mean, for Missouri, it's about those guards. It's about Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith and Mark Smith. And Drew Smith, I think has been playing at an all SEC level in this early season. He's the offense the offense runs through him. I mean, Austin, you watch more Missouri basketball than I do, so I think you can speak more on that, but I mean, I believe the offense runs through him and he sets the tone on defense. Yeah, honestly, the law firm of Smith, Smith, and Smith is pretty much what runs this Mizzou team, especially with Mark Smith having 19 against uh, Wichita State this past weekend. I mean, you really got to love the play that he's been making for this Mizzou squad here this season. I mean, especially with him and the ability of this Tigers team, although the percent might not be the best, the three-point shooting, at least the shot selection that they're making this season has really been much better compared to last year because – all Mizzou people know that three-point shooting is not the Tigers' strong suit. I mean, this season is definitely a markedly improved um, point for them this year, but especially this year with the play that Mark Smith has been going with, I think that that's the reason why Mizzou's been doing a lot better, especially with Conzo Martin. He's got the ESPN National Coach of the Week award already. So, I mean, you can't really complain about that already early in the season, but they do have a big test against Illinois this weekend. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they also Sunday went to Wichita State, beat them by 10. Wichita State is always a hard place to play at, no matter how good they are. But yeah, as you mentioned, Austin, the Illinois game is probably their biggest game 
for the program in at least the past couple of years. I mean, this is a very talented Illinois team, ranked sixth in the country. Um, they have probably the best duo in the country in junior guard Io DeSumu and sophomore center Kofi Coburn. I mean, DeSumu's their All-American. He does everything. He everything runs through him on the offense. He gets his he can get his own shot, but also create for others just as well, which is a scary sight as a defense when you when someone else's player can create shots for others just as well, if not better, uh, than creating a shot for himself. And then Kofi Coburn, in my opinion, is the most physically imposing force in college basketball at seven feet, 285, very athletic, is a strong finisher, almost averaging a double-double. And I think he's going to be the difference in the game Saturday against Illinois, Missouri, as well as Missouri has been playing. They don't have someone that can guard him and contain him. And you can't, you can't stop both him and Desumu. You're going to have to pick one or the other. One of them is going to have their way. And I just, I just don't see anyone on Missouri being able to guard Coburn down low. And I mean, Missouri has guards. So at least the guards are going to be able to limit Desumu in one way, in one way or the other, whether it's with his dis whether limiting his distribution to other players or limiting you. his scoring. But, I mean, I think Illinois is just way too talented, as good as this Missouri team has been playing lately. No, honestly, that's true. I mean, Coburn, it, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with with Missouri. I mean, Jeremiah told me he's going to have his hands full for that game. So we'll have to see how well they do. But a lot of other marquee matchups kind of coming up this weekend, though, for the SEC. We got a lot of big games for the rest of the conference with – Notre Dame and Kentucky, like you said, and then we've got a yeah, lot of for other sure. games. Tennessee, they started playing games. They had their first game tonight against Colorado, one by nine. Very low scoring, as I know Rick Barnes loves his defense. So that was a little bit – that was – I mean, that wasn't surprising at all. But, I mean, it was the one thing that surprised me was Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson coming off the bench, two five-star freshmen. I would have think Rick Barnes would have one of them in the starting rotation, but I – I don't see them riding the bench much longer. I think they're too talented to sit on the bench. And then they have another test Saturday coming up against Cincinnati. And Cincinnati always comes in playing really hard with tough defense. And that's going to be another low-scoring game that the ball is going to have to grind out. And then Florida, Florida State, in-state rivalry. Florida State ranked 20th right now in the country. Florida been playing really well. Have the preseason SEC Player of the Year, Keontae Johnson who has been playing at that level so far this year. And then the complimentary pieces for Florida have also been stepping up. Uh, Trey Mann, he's averaging 15 points and four assists. I mean, he's really stepped, he's really taken that jump that everyone talks about from freshman to sophomore year. And then Scotty Lewis is also averaging double figures in points and almost six rebounds per game. And then Noah Locke also you know, averaging you know, 11 points per game and is playing really well. And so this Florida team, I think if they're going to get, want to be respected in the country, <clears throat> they're going to have to beat Florida State on Saturday, which is very tough because that Florida State defense under Leonard, Leonard Hamilton is always one of the best in the country. And then Mississippi State, Dayton, that could be a, another good game that no one's really talking about. Mississippi State, uh, excuse me, Dayton, with Jalen Crutcher, preseason All-American in a lot of people's eyes in the A-10, which is slept on, I think, with Richmond and St. Louis and those teams. But, I mean, the A-10's honestly gotten the SEC's number this year with St. Louis beating LSU, 
with Richmond sure. beating Kentucky. So don't find it surprising if Dayton and beats Mississippi State. And then obviously the Illinois-Missouri game is the big game of the week. And if Missouri somehow gets to upset, I don't see how they can not be ranked come next Monday when the top 25 is released. And somehow they were still behind Oregon in the Ken Palm rankings already. I, I, I don't understand mm. it. Mizzou's getting a little bit too much disrespect here for basketball. But yeah, yeah if they keep even if they keep it close, do you think that they could get uh, close to the top 25, Nick? Uh, if they keep it close, I mean, I definitely think it would open some more eyes and get them some more votes. But I think a, a win is really what they need to get in the top 25. I for mean, sure. It's in yeah. Como, too. Oh, that's going to be playing a huge part, even if it's limited capacity. And then another big game, Auburn-Memphis going down in Atlanta. Uh, Auburn got a win against South Alabama, making, I believe it was 22 threes. So they're starting to hit their stride. They're still without five-star Shreve Cooper. But a lot of guys for Auburn have been stepping up so far in his absence. Uh, Justin Powell, freshman from Kentucky, their leading scorer, averaging 14.5 per game and leading the team in assists – with almost four a game. And then Alan Flanagan, sophomore, has stepped up, averaging 12 points and almost five rebounds per game. He's also taken another sophomore leap. And then Jamal Johnson, averaging 10 points per game, too. So they're, tr- they're starting to find a lot of new guys with Sharif Cooper out that they can rely on. But against Memphis, who is a very talented team under Penny Hardaway, I'm sure, as you know, Austin, they have, they have a lot of guys that can – Score very athletic team, aggressive on defense. Landers, Nolly the second, averaging 17 points for them. And then Boogie Ellis, who started to come off the bench, but is now in this now should be in the starting rotation after some great performances, averaging almost 12 points per game. He's a really he's the best shooter for Missouri. So I think Auburn's gonna have to keep in and check. But I think Memphis's defense and getting out in transition is gonna win them this game against Auburn. And then another game that I think could be really good is TCU, Texas A&M. TCU has two really good guards in uh, RJ Nemhard and uh, Mike Miles. They're both averaging double-digit points. Um, The offense runs through them. I mean, Jamie Dixon always coaches his teams really hard. And watching whatever Kansas plays, TCU, I mean – it's always closer than it should be because TCU plays really aggressive on defense. And yeah, TCU's a pretty gritty team in the Big 12. For sure. And then Texas A&M, they've won the first three games so far against pretty inferior opponents. But, I mean, they still won those pretty handily. He, and Emmanuel Miller has kind of been like the breakout star for Texas A&M, averaging a double-double, 22 points, 10 rebounds and two steals per game. So, I mean, he's really stepped up for the Aggies this season. And then they have a trio of guards that are averaging in double figures too. And Quentin Jackson averaging 14, almost 15 points per game to go along with almost five rebounds per game. And Savion Flag averaging 12 points, eight rebounds as a guard, which is very impressive, and almost five assists. So he can do a little bit of everything. And then Andre Gordon averaging in 12 points for the Aggies as well. So they have a lot of depth in the backcourt and they have a lot of guys that can get their own shot. But then if they can't get their own shot, they can dump it down to Emmanuel Miller, who 
Kenton, who is a walking double-double right now for the Aggies. So a lot of really good basketball this weekend. And I think if the SEC is going to want to get some more respect around the country, they're going to have to really perform this weekend because Tennessee is the only ranked team right now at number 12. Kentucky fell out of the top 25 after. And who would have thought that coming into the season? I mean, who would have thought that Tennessee would be the lone ranked team about four or five games in already to the season that they would be the only ones. That's honestly exactly. shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of teams have been playing mean, better as of recent. I mean, LSU, after their loss to St. Louis, they've really kind of turned a gear and have been just blowing out teams regularly. Alabama went two and one in the Maui Invitational. After losing to Stanford, they got two – quality wins against UNLV and Providence. So they have some momentum going in. Um, I mentioned Florida earlier. They're playing really well right now in the first three games after not playing any games. But Ole Miss still has not been able to get on the court yet due to COVID issues. So it's going to be interesting when Ole Miss finally gets out on the court to see how long it takes them to get going. And Vanderbilt still has only played one game due to COVID issues as well. Poor Scotty Pippen Jr. Well, yeah, been... let's see how those those other guys do this weekend. But, uh, yeah, should be some interesting games here for the SEC coming up on Saturday. We, I know everybody can't wait to see how the whole conference does. Lots of big matchups. So, thank you, Nick. Lots of yeah, great no info here. And we'll be moving on to our next segment, talking about our Week 12 picks for college football in the SEC. All right, for our SEC football picks this week, we're going to go ahead and start off with the morning games, and we'll go with Georgia and Missouri. Georgia is favored by 13 in this game, fellas. Nick, who you got? Yeah, I mean, Mizzou, they're having a, they've had great success as recently when, in all their sports, basically, with basketball getting on a roll and the football. It's been a great week and a half for people getting, in Como. Getting a big win against Arkansas, but, I mean – I think I'm going to take Georgia in this one. I mean, that Georgia defense is, as always, one of the best in the conference. And, I mean, JT Daniels, they finally started playing him. He's playing really well. But I'm going to take Mizzou as covering in Columbia. I think it's going to be a really close game, closer than a lot of people think. I mean, Nick Bolton, he'll be coming back in the second half. Is that correct, that game? He'll be coming back in the first half, I believe. Oh, so he'll be able to because okay. he got ejected in the first. Half. Okay, yeah. So he's all. I think he's gonna have a big game. But so yeah, Georgia wins, but Mizzou covers. What say you, Joey? You know, if this game was played back in November, like it was originally supposed to be, I'd probably say I'd take Georgia. But you know, Mizzou four and one in their last five. Which, uh, you know, got a big win against Arkansas. Final seconds, a lot of momentum coming in. I definitely like them to cover. Uh, I think it'll be a real close game. You know, I don't want to say I think they're going to outright win because Georgia's still, you know, number nine in the country, still a very strong team, you know, six and two. Well, you know, they're probably not going to get into the playoff. You know, their chances seem extremely unlikely at this point. Still a very good SEC team. So I'll go with Mizzou to cover. I think it'll be a close game, but I think Georgia will probably end up winning outright. Yeah, and I, as much as I love – my Mizzou Tigers, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to win against a solid Georgia squad this year. I mean, I, they, they're definitely going to cover in my mind, but I, I don't think that Nick Bolton is really going to have as much pressure as he might be able to get 
against a team like Arkansas. So I think I'm going to have to go with Georgia, unfortunately. But I really hope Mizzou proves me wrong in this game. I really do. I really want to see them uh, pull out a big victory at home to finish out the season at home. But for the next game in the SEC in the morning slate, we have Alabama at Arkansas, fellas. Alabama favored by 32 in Fayetteville. What do you think about this game, Nick? I'm going to go with Alabama, and I think that they're going to cover. I mean, nothing against Arkansas, but Alabama is just on a roll right now. And I think they are going to try to get as much momentum as possible to go in, into that SEC championship game against Florida. What about you, Joey? Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with Nick on this one. Uh, I think Alabama will definitely win, but I think their mind's already on that SEC championship game. You know, I think this trip to Fayetteville is just – not they're just not focused you know I think they're more focused on Florida two weeks away so I think Alabama definitely the better team this year um definitely will win this game but I think Arkansas covers 32 I could see him even losing by four touchdowns but I think Arkansas covers 32 that's just too many points at home you know what Joe you brought up a good point I know especially coming into the SEC championship game the next week I I just don't think that Alabama is going to really have too many worries about this game so they're probably going to start their uh, second string guys in the second half and I think because of that Arkansas might be able to claw back a little bit and keep it in within the uh, within the spread there and be able to cover that one but obviously Alabama's going to win by a lot I mean that big wheel is just keeping on rolling for them you, you really cannot stop them overall but moving on, we'll go on into the next game for the SEC slate. We have Tennessee at Vanderbilt. Rivalry game, fellas. Three o'clock. Tennessee is favored by 15 in Nashville. What do you think about this game, Nick? I think Tennessee is going to win this game, but Vandy's going to cover. I think Vanderbilt's honestly just looking towards next season right now with firing Derek Mason. And Tennessee, you know, with Harrison Bailey, I think he had a decent showing against Florida, honestly. Did not play terrible. Definitely did not lose them that game. I think that was the right move by Jeremy Pruitt. So I think having a little bit of confidence right now, playing decent against Florida, obviously one of the best teams in the country. And with Vanderbilt, I don't think they have much motivation. I think I'm going to take Tennessee, but Vandy's going to cover. All right, how about you, Joey? Looking at this week's slate, I'm going to say that this will probably be the sloppiest game in the SEC. Uh, I mean, these teams are combined 2-14, and 14, and Tennessee's two wins. You know, they started the year off 2-0. and oh. They've lost six in a row, haven't won six since uh, October 3rd. You know, there's not much to say about either of these teams in the SEC, you know, for the majority of the season. So, uh, honestly, I think at home in Nashville – I'm going to take Vanderbilt to win, get their first win of the year. I think Tennessee's morale is at an all-time low right now. And I think they're just – all sorts of things are going on there. You know, they don't even – I don't think they really know who they are. They had four different guys throw a pass in their last game. You know, I'm not going to say Vanderbilt's in a great spot either, but I think at home, end of the year, they'll get their one win of the season. Yeah, I'm going to have to – Agree with you on the part that Vanderbilt will cover here. I, I just think that Tennessee is just overmatched in the fact that they have way more quality players than Vanderbilt. And I think Harrison Bailey's finally going to have a real standout performance, even more so than he did against or last week in his game 
against uh, Florida, but I, I think that Tennessee is going to be able to handle business by winning this game, but Fanny's going to keep it close and who knows, are we going to see Sarah Fuller again? I don't know. Only COVID can tell. <laughs> we'll have to see about this game, but for the next game in the SEC slate, we have LSU at Florida. Florida's favored by 23 and a half in Gainesville for that six o'clock game. What do you think about this one, Nick? Surprise. Florida's not favored by more, honestly, from the way Alabama just beat LSU. And I think Florida's offense is just as explosive as Alabama. So I'm going to take Florida and that they're going to cover. How about you, Joey? Yeah, I can't, can't really add to that. I mean, I also would have expected a higher spread in Florida's favor this weekend after watching the Alabama LSU game last weekend. I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier with Alabama, you know, Florida's got their mind on the SEC championship game. This is just like in the way, you know, so I don't think they will be, I don't think they'll blow them out like Alabama did, but I still think they'll cover and uh, definitely get the win here. Yeah. I, I see no issues here for Florida getting a big win. Uh, even with LSU, the way that they got demolished against Bama, I don't think it's going to be much of a different story against LSU or for LSU going against Florida this week. I think the, the Gators are just going to be able to be all over them. And Kyle Trask, 400. He's going to throw 400 yards easily, in my opinion. I think he'll just be able to demolish him again. But rounding out the coverage for this weekend, we have Auburn at Mississippi State. And this is the closest spread out of all of these games. Six and a half points in favor of Auburn in Starkville. What do you got for this one, Nick? I'm going to go Auburn. I mean, I think both these teams' confidence is a little low, even though Mississippi State is getting better every week. They still lost the Egg Bowl. That's always a tough blow when you lose your in-state rival. And Auburn lost a tough one last week to Texas A&M. So I think Auburn's going to win, and I think they are going to cover, um, but not by much. I mean, Auburn, they have a lot of talent. They just need to use it correctly. And I think if Malzahn wants to save his job, he needs to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. You can say that again. What do you think, Joey? Yeah, this is a must-win for Gus Malzahn. Uh, I think, you know, Mississippi State, I think, is one of the teams that – I think a lot of SEC teams have been disappointing as far as preseason expectations. I think Auburn's one of those teams, you know, they ranked pretty high throughout the first few weeks of the season and now unranked five and four, just season hasn't gone the way they wanted. Uh, so I, I like them to cover win by at least a touchdown here. I just think they're the more talented team, better coach team, even this year, at least than Mississippi state. Um, so I'll take Auburn to cover and win outright. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with you on that one as well. I think Auburn's going to be able to handle business in Starkville pretty handling. The Gus bus is probably going to keep on rolling for another year. Uh, Mike Leach's air raid offense really hasn't been as much as I ex expected it to be this season. Obviously, it's his first year and the coronavirus. You can't have that many practices or anything, that much preparation going into this game. So I, I really don't expect them to put up too much of a fight, even if it is at home. So. I do have Auburn winning pretty big, but now let's go ahead and transition into our hot takes to finish out this podcast. Thinking about this one, we've all been thinking of what is the spiciest take that we can find for this week. And I know that we've got some great ideas here. So we're going to have Nick go ahead and lead this off. What do you have for this week, Nick? For my hot take, I'm going to say that 
Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Devontae Smith do not play in the fourth quarter against Arkansas. I think they're going to get the job done pretty quick, and I think Saban's going to rest up his trio of stars for Florida. All right. How about you, Joey? For, uh, for my hot take this weekend, I'm going to say that Vanderbilt quarterback Ken Seals is going to have his first and only three-touchdown game of the season against Tennessee. I think uh, it's going to be a real sloppy game, and I think both offenses will put up a decent amount of points, higher than, you know, Tennessee's averaging 14 – or Tennessee's averaging 20 points a game, Vanderbilt 14. Uh, neither team's very good defensively, though, so I think they both score more than they've – average the season i think ken seals throws his first three touchdown game yeah in this game i think that 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 could be a real possibility you know uh but for me this week my hot take a little bit spicy not not too much but it'll get the senses going a little bit here i think that kyle trask is going to reach the 500 yard mark here in the game against lsu and uh, i think he's just gonna be an absolute force to be reckoned with in the swamp and I, I don't think LSU is going to have any chance of stopping him this weekend so we'll uh, count Kyle Trask throwing for about 500 this game but with that that's about it that's going to wrap it up here for the SEC uh, pick them here for the South Atlanta Sports Podcast so thank you all for joining us and remember pull out that phone that we know you use way too much pull it out check out South of the Line Sports all one thing on Instagram, check us out at South of the Line One on Twitter, and of course, go to our website at SouthOfTheLineSports.com, where we have great content coming out every week about recaps for the games that happen in SEC action for football and basketball, and we have other great content coming out soon as well. So be sure to stay tuned on our, all our socials and our website as well. So thank you all for listening in to another great episode of South of the Line Sports. <laughs>